From the Times of Northwest Indiana and nwy.com slash podcasts, you're listening to Byline. The podcast about the newspaper's most fascinating stories and the reporters who tell them. I'm Kale Wilk, and this week Byline takes a look at those caring for infants in more ways than one. We'll talk with nurses combating a pressing issue. But I feel like in our area, we have a lot of really good resources, but maybe people don't know about them. And we'll talk with a reporter who learned more than he expected. You know, while not all these infant deaths that happen in Indiana are preventable, some of them are. Yeah, okay. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, difficult pregnancy, just wasn't feeling good, totally different from my first pregnancy. Just wasn't feeling good. I could just, I, something just didn't feel the same. It just didn't feel right. Um, this is Andrea Daniels a woman from Fort Wayne, which is on the northeastern side of Indiana. This audio is from a few months ago and was provided by someone else in that room. J-O-R-D-A-N? That's Giles Bruce, the health reporter for the Times. He found himself visiting Andrea for a reason that's going to become more clear in a bit. For now, she was telling Giles about her baby, Jordan. So, like I was saying, the more I sat there... The more intense the pain became, which I decided to go ahead and go to the hospital. So I ended up having Jordan, and he was immediate. He wasn't breathing. I heard at the time of birth, so they incubated him, and uh, they discharged him immediately to Raleigh Hospital. So I was just like on edge. Yeah. Um, In the midst of Jordan's time being born, he had at least three to four surgeries, one including a temporary heart surgery, Um, and they wanted to know what I wanted done. So basically they were saying the only thing that was keeping Jordan alive at that time was the medicine. It was just time to let him go because I could just... That wasn't my child laying in that bed anymore. That wasn't him. I I live with guilt every day. I know Jordan's probably in a better place. He's not suffering anymore, but no mother should have to make that decision. And from the time Jordan was born to the time he died, he took his last breath, my biggest... My biggest prayer was that he knew that I loved him. I couldn't take the pain away. I couldn't pick him up when I wanted to. I couldn't give him a bottle when I wanted to. So it was very important for me to let Jordan know that no matter what, I love my baby so much. So that's why I just made sure that the last voice that he heard, the last touch that he felt was me. Andrea's son, Jordan, spent five months on this earth, all while in a hospital. His death was caused by complications with internal malformations. And it's one example of a pressing issue throughout Indiana. Giles has focused most of his time and effort on it, for a while now. 
Uh, I started hearing from local health officials, state officials, that Indiana had one of the highest infant mortality rates in the nation. Um, basically, infant mortality means the death of a child before the age of one. Um, so in Indiana, for every thousand live births, uh, seven, seven of those kids don't make it to their first birthday. Indiana, according to 2014 data from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, ranked eighth in the country for infant mortality. The U.S. average is around five deaths per 1,000 live births and ranks 57th in the world, according to the Central Intelligence Agency World Factbook. What this means, as Giles said, is that there are several reasons that infants aren't making it past one year of life in Indiana, and they're happening both inside and outside of the womb as they're developing. Some of the top reasons, according to the Indiana State Department of Health, include low birth weight and immaturity, malformations and deformations while in the womb, the infamous sudden infant death syndrome, and even accidental suffocation or strangulation while in bed. You know, so I was wondering why that was. Um, you know, I was new to Indiana when I came here for the job, but Indiana never struck me as one of the, you know, unhealthiest states or one of the, you know, most destitute states. I always wanted to take a deeper dive into why Indiana struggles so much with uh, infant deaths. A few months ago, Giles reached out to the University of Southern California Annenberg School of Communication and Journalism's Center for Health Journalism. The school offers fellowships for California-based journalists and out-of-state reporters to receive training and guidance for long-form reporting on health topics, as well as a grant for that reporting. Giles was one of 23 out-of-state reporters who received the opportunity after applying. Um, so I've been working on this project for about the last six months now, um, traveling around the state to um, some of the places with the highest infant mortality rates. And the zip code, with the highest rate in the state, lies right in our area, in East Chicago. Um, for the past five years of any zip code, East Chicago had the, the highest rate of uh, infant deaths in the state. You know, so it, it affects people in different ways. So, and not knowing how it will, it will affect you is the hard part, you know. So that's why some people vote to do that. But another thing about the morphine or state all, the demerol, the IV medicine, it also goes to baby as well because that's going in your bloodstream. So baby might come out with What you're hearing is a nurse visiting a home of an East Chicago resident. She's a worker with Nurse Family Partnership a national organization that established a branch in Lake County just a little over a year ago. Lake County specifically um, was one of the highest counties in the state for infant mortality. And that's Paulette Maxey, the director of operations for Nurse Family Partnership Lake County. Lake County indeed had a very large portion of infant deaths in the state's overall infant mortality. It's only behind Marion County, where Indianapolis is located. So in, in Indiana, in 2014, there were 597 infant deaths. Um, that's throughout the state. Of those, 57 occurred in the northwest region, which is Lake and Porter counties. In a state with a historically high infant mortality rate, the team Paulette oversees is one of many doing what it can to offer quality prenatal care for expectant parents. The nurses do in-home visits and help monitor things like what parents are consuming, how they're feeling, what environment they're living in, and more. 
there's many factors that go beyond the simple don't smoke, drink, or consume drugs during pregnancy. And they have a slightly different approach. Um, Our program, we allow the moms to select from a menu of topics what they want to talk about. Um, So if I visit a mom this week, we're going to look over this menu and I'm going to let her choose what topics do you want to talk about. And it can vary anything from what can I expect in pregnancy for each uh, stage of pregnancy to what's going to happen in labor and delivery um, to how do I bathe my baby? um, How do I, if I'm planning to move, what resources do I need to consider? So it can be any variation of topics based on what that mom selects. And then we also have uh, topics that we like to try and cover with them at certain stages within their pregnancy as well. The mother, that client, is the expert on her own life. And so we work with her toward her heart's desire. It may not be what we think should be the thing she should be focusing on, um, but we want to help her work toward a healthy pregnancy, a healthy baby, and economic self-sufficiency. So... We want her to feel like there may be many other things in your life that you are not in charge or in control of, but you are in control of this visit. Currently, the team has six nurses, and they're helping 58 families. Expectant parents are free to approach the organization, but they're required to be first-time mothers, must enroll prior to 28 weeks or seven months in their pregnancy, and must also be eligible for programs like Medicaid. Visits can be every one or two weeks, and the nurses do visits up until the baby is two that years old. So that's why some people have to do that. But, you know, there's pros and cons of both. Another, uh, one of the things about the epidural, too, is that sometimes it can slow down your contractions. So, because you're not really feeling what's going on, because mm-hmm. you're not. So that's, that's another, that's another doubt. However, amidst all this... There's some stereotypes or stigmas that sometimes come up. Or um, around, along certain racial lines that it's minorities and not, um, it's only, you know, Hispanic or African-American, not Caucasian. Um, and you look at the statistics and it's, it's not specifically one race, it's not specifically one ethnicity, it's not specifically people that are... Um, addicted to any particular substance, um, it, it kind of goes across the board. Like Paulette said, it's not just an issue that affects minorities or people of color. As said before, East Chicago's zip code has the highest rate in Indiana, and African Americans make up the majority of its population. However, Marion, Indiana, not to be confused with Marion County, and Muncie, both of which hold the second and ninth spots in the zip code rankings, have populations that are around 80% white. You know, whites and blacks, when it comes to infant mortality, tend to have different risk factors and causes. Um, You know, black women often lack uh, access to healthy food and transportation, and um, there's also a lot of studies showing that um, generations of racial stress, racial discrimination is affecting their uh, birth outcomes. Uh, For the white population, um, smoking rates are higher among women while they're pregnant. Um, Drug use is more of an issue in in rural communities where, um, you know, there's a large white population. Access to health care is often a bigger issue um, since 
you know, there's not as many doctors, hospitals in, in some of those communities. So, as Giles noted earlier, he's gone around to other locations in the state. One of those, indeed, was Muncie. And one of the people he talked to was this person. Jessica Johnson, and I'm a community health ambassador. Jessica is with Open Door Health Services, a health clinic that offers a wide range of services, including prenatal care. They offer one-on-one sessions, time with doctors, and guidance on resources they can use if Open Door can't necessarily help with a particular subject. Um, there's lack of prenatal care would be one. Um, some substance abuse problems. Sometimes it's just after a baby's born, we have, you know, SIDS deaths that sometimes can't be helped. But then there's also um, safe sleep is one that we really focus on because those are ones that we can do more to prevent if we educate, you know, new parents and work with them to try to show them how to how to create a safe sleep environment. So that's the top ones I feel would be contributing the most to that. Like Giles said before, rural communities in Indiana are in the middle of a substance abuse crisis in relation to opioids and methamphetamine. Giles has written articles in the past on opioids in Indiana for the Times, and I've done reporting before on methamphetamine in the state, although not for the Times. Needless to say, it's a real problem. We have one of the highest rates in Indiana. It's higher than um, most other counties, and it's definitely higher than the rate of Indiana as a whole. We had a really low rate here um, in 2012. I'm not sure what was different then, but it is, it skyrocketed after that, and it's slowly going back down. But I think that the more that we put out those programs, and like I had a baby last year, and I didn't know anything about um, any of the safe sleep programming. So I knew about safe sleep just from my background, but I didn't know about the programs here at Open Door or at the Children's Bureau. So I think it's just we really need to to let families know that it's available and to try to get them educated as much as possible in the different things that can combat infant mortality. But even if there's many workers in Indiana trying to do something about its infant mortality rate, where do the state's forces fit into this? Um, I feel like the state is... They're doing what they can do, you know, as far as we're doing research to see what what types of things we can do that will have a better impact. We're getting more knowledge on um, what what each area needs more of. Some areas don't have substance abuse problems as much as maybe Muncie, so they need to focus on something else. But I feel like in our area, we have a lot of really good resources, but Maybe people don't know about them. So what is the state's perspective? According to Giles's reporting, former governor and current vice president Mike Pence made infant mortality a top health issue on his agenda. Newly elected governor Eric Holcomb has also, according to a press release on his legislative agenda, made infant mortality a focus. One of his points includes, quote, expand the nurse-family partnership to combat infant mortality. Our greatest opportunity for impact is within our African-American population, because in Indiana, the infant mortality rate in 2014 was 14.7 
compared to the white infant mortality rate of 5.9. We need to address those health disparities to make sure that every baby has the best shot of having a long and healthy life. And how long you live should not depend on the zip code or the color of your skin. That's Martha Allen, Director of Maternal and Child Health for the Indiana State Department of Health. In my department in particular with maternal and child health, I focus on the well-being of mom and baby, and that's where infant mortality is housed within the Department of Health. So our role is to first study what's going on around the state, statistics, um, feedback that we're receiving on trends of health, and then determine what we can do to improve that health, both through funding grants so that we can partner with other people in the local community to be able to improve health, And sometimes it's literally going to those communities and having a conversation so the individuals understand what the challenge is or opportunity. In 2014, the last year that we had the completed data, we had 597 Indiana children that died before their first birthday. So we focus on things such as smoking cessation for mom, early and quality prenatal care, access to safe sleep, so both providing cribs And we have a program that we sponsor that's called Direct On-Scene Education Dose, and that helps to teach first responders to identify and remove hazards in the home when they're already there for another emergent situation. We had a recent one called Safety PIN, and PIN is an acronym that stands for Protecting Indiana Newborns. And we partnered with groups across the state to reduce infant mortality. So in December of last year, just a few months ago, we awarded nearly $13 million in competitive safety pin grants, both to hospitals, healthcare groups, and nonprofit organizations for projects designed to focus on reducing Indiana's infant mortality rate. However, the State Department doesn't necessarily take the direct approach and performs more of a partnership. In Indiana, we have what's called home rule for local health departments. So that means that the Indiana State Department of Health doesn't have authority of those local health departments, but we do partner with them to advance health practices. So what we do is we reach out to the local health departments to see what resources they need to to promote health within their local community. So my team, um, the Maternal Child Health Division of, of ISDH, has a large group of individuals that can go out both locally across the state and frankly even sometimes nationwide to promote best practices or to share our experience. So if there is a group, whether it be a local health department, a hospital, uh, a local faith-based community, if there is an opportunity for us to come and explain the ways to promote or to reduce infant mortality, promote health and reduce infant mortality, we would be happy to make that connection. Even if the state wants to reach out, there's some that feel dissatisfied with outreach efforts. But see, that hole in his heart, basically, he had a double whammy because he had the hole in his heart where his heart had to work double time, plus he had an obstruction in his aorta called a coarctation. This is the inside of an examination room where Dr. Norma Kryline is seeing a patient. Giles also wants to go and visit her in her office in Washington, in the southwestern part of the state. She feels disillusioned with the state's efforts for several reasons. One being how Mike Pence, while he was still governor, slashed some public health budget funds, including for infant mortality. Which kind of seems like an about-face on a stance to treat it as a priority. What I see is that they were basically starting to get to the heart of 
what some of these issues were just on the longevity of how, much, how long they had been working on it. And literally, within a year of Indiana's infant mortality getting all these headlines, he completely annihilated the funding mm-hmm. of the agency that was working on it and fragmented it completely into all these block grants as if that was going to be effective. Norma also feels the state hasn't done what it can to address what she believes is a huge contributor to birth defects and infant mortality, pollution. She's practiced in Jasper, a little farther south of Washington, and believes the multitude of coal-powered plants in that region have contributed to the problem. But according to her viewpoint, she hasn't felt the state has taken it seriously. And I specifically talked to IDEM and the State Board of Health on the same table in May, mm-hmm. saying, you know, this was a mandate of the summit three years ago to brainstorm an issues. And I am here personally to say that our pollution is, is exorbitant down there. And that I, as a physician, I'm telling you, it is contributing because I'm seeing birth defects. And I'm seeing blatant disregard for standards. Mm-hmm. To put it simply, Giles has seen a lot. His standard beat has taken a unique journey around Indiana to the offices of those on the front line, trying their best efforts to save the lives of the littlest Hoosiers and making sure they too can get to see more than just their first birthday, but also a basic childhood, a first day of school, and beyond. A long-form story like Giles's holds a unique place in journalism. The experience is much more than the daily or weekly content the Times puts out. There's connections, understanding, and empathy that develops. As a father himself, Giles is able to not only inform from his sources, but also inform from the heart. You know, it's really on all of us. Um, You know, it comes down to how many dead babies we're willing to accept as a society and whether, you know, even one is acceptable. Um, So that's a question we have to ask ourselves. You know, having kids myself, I mean, I could just, you know, I cannot imagine losing them and, and no parent could and I've I've talked to parents you know who have um, you know who have lost infants as part of this series and it's just overwhelming um, you know some of the stories and their you know the grief and loss and you know how you can never fully get over the loss of an infant um, and never fill that void just goes to show how important of an issue this is because you know, while all, not all these infant deaths that happen in Indiana are preventable, some of them are. You know, if we can prevent just one, it's going to save, you know, those parents, you know, a lifetime of grief. Um, you know, and we can, you know, we can save more than one. I mean, from my research and reporting, um, you know, as many as hundreds a year could be preventable. Byline is a production of the Times of Northwest Indiana. All episodes can be found at nwi.com slash podcasts. Byline is also on social media. We're on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You just type in NWI Byline in the search bar, and we should pop up. If you've got a media player and want to download our episodes or listen on the go, 
Byline is available on iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher. We just kindly ask that you rate us and leave a review because it actually really helps. And we like to hear from you, whether that's constructive comments, feedback, or suggestions for topics you'd like to hear more about. Just drop an email to kale.wilk at nwi.com. Reporting for this week's episode came from Giles Bruce, as well as myself, Kale Wilk. Lots of thank yous go out to Andrea Daniels, Paulette Maxey, Jessica Johnson, Martha Allen, and Norma Kryline for taking time to either be interviewed for or have their audio included in this episode. Giles's work on this pressing issue in Indiana was the main item in yesterday's print edition, but can also be found at nwi.com. All of the articles and photos are really worth the look and read. If you'd like to stay up to date on any of Giles's work, you can follow him on Twitter at Giles Bruce. Credit for music production and mixing goes to the talented Dante Stewart. Last but not least, thank you to Summer Moore, the Times' digital and audience engagement editor and Byline's creator. She's the chieftain of this operation, overseeing progress each week on episodes. I'm K.O. Wilk, and from the Times of Northwest Indiana, thank you for listening. See you next time.